Interestingly enough, the toughest passage for one of the churches in Asia happens to be happening on the Covenant Sunday. And what do we do with that? So let's pray before we start. We thank you, Father God, for your ancient words. We thank you that it's got relevance for us today. And thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and we say as your people, Lord, teach us from your word today. And may your name be blessed and may your name be honoured with our response, Lord, to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, here we are. The book of Revelation. This is the, the seventh letter to the churches there. And I just wanted, again, to go a little bit about... Uh, I like to do this every Sunday because it helps us with, uh, with where we are and what God has been teaching us. So, let us remember that this was the message that God had through the angel for John to pass on to the churches. And if you want to go back and see this picture, just go and read chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. And it talks about the majesty and the power and the glorious presence of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then we thought that, or we said that all these letters were circular letters. And they were specifically for seven churches. So we talked about the last six and last two, three months, November and stuff. And today we're going to be dealing with the, well, with the last church, which is the church in Laodicea. And the uh, last week I just brought this sketch of what was going on in each church and what were the areas that God was trying to work with the church and what were the areas of rebuke and what were the areas that God was expecting for the church to be actually faced with a challenge and then work on that. And um, yes, we repeated last week that there was a church in Ephesus and they had really hard work and perseverance, but they didn't tolerate the wicked men, but they had forsaken the first love. Then the second church was church in Smyrna. They were, yes, full of poverty and afflictions and they've withstood that. But they, God didn't have any rebuke for them. There was only commendations. Then the third church was in Pergamum. They were good because they held true to Jesus' name, um, even though they were facing death. But actually, they had endorsed, they had compromised with some teaching. Um, the church, fourth church was the church in Thyatira. They were very well known, popular for their love, for their faith, for their service, for their perseverance, but they had tolerated the false prophets. Then church in Sardis, only a few were found worthy out of the whole congregation. They had the reputation of being alive, but they were dead, and they did not finish they did not complete their works. The sixth church that we did last week was the church in Philadelphia. And basically, they, this was the church that kept strong, kept held of Jesus' words, persevered there, not denying his, 
his name, although they were facing persecution from the uh, synagogue of the Jews there. And there was that element of expectation that God was still going to show up. And the seventh church is the church in Laodicea. Now, Aaron started the service by reading it, and it's, it's quite strong language. It's quite strong language that God is imparting to his son Jesus, to the angel, for John to give it to the church. Now, I just want for us to draw and stop for a moment and just think, if we were a community of faith and we were presented with this letter on a Sunday morning, I think this would have been much worse than having a projector not working. (laughs) Because God is still building his church. And God wants to challenge the church in the areas that they're missing out. And obviously, still, God is calling this group of people, this gathering, a church. Jesus is still referring them as a church. But they've got some areas there that are a bit dodgy. Now, to give you a little bit the, the background of Laodicea. Laodicea was a very well-known, very well-structured city. Uh, One of the areas that they were very well-known for was their commercial ability. So the equivalent of a a banking city or a banking town with very, very good, prominent, financial, top-notch specialists, which meant that also they were very rich. The other thing that was special about Laodicea was that they were well known in the whole region for their wool. And they made a certain type of wool, which was a black wool. And they were well known because out of this wool, they would make very good carpets. The other thing that is very interesting about this is that because of its region, where it was situated, they had very bad resources of natural water. So they had dug, or they have built up an aqueduct six or seven miles away that came from the neighboring towns and made its way into the town. And the, the, I mean, we can go on and speculate with interpretation here, but I would just like to suggest that God is talking to the church where they are situated, and it's giving them things that they can identify with so they can mirror their spiritual condition before God. One of the things that Laodicea comes off as a rebuke is the first statement that God makes about the church. But let's not forget how Jesus is represented here. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. 
So what I'm going to impart to you, says John, is not my source of knowledge, is not my source of understanding, is not my heart because I don't feel equipped to rebuke you, but for the one who is the amen, the true, the ruler of God's creation, he's got something to tell you, something to expose to you. And he's going to do it very well. So, write these words. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you are one or the other. Now, there are interpreters that suggest that the water that came into the city from the aqueduct, because it had to do such a long journey, during the time it arrived, about the time when it arrived into the city, it was in a lukewarm condition. Lukewarm condition to the point of being sick. And Jesus knew what he was going to address them. And actually, the Laodiceans knew what he was talking about. They knew what it meant to drink water that was not tasteful or the right temperature. I'll tell you uh, an experience that we had with water. Um, for those of you, I mean, you know for sure because you have prayed for us, we used to do summer camps. And we used to have children who would come to our summer camps from all over the country. Now, Duras, my hometown, which is central in Albania, is not well known for good quality of water. And because we're so used to it, it doesn't matter to us. We happened to invite a group of children who came from the north of Albania. And the north of Albania, well, actually, they came exactly from the area where the Stenslands used to be missionaries, Barham Tsuri area. And the water there, it's from very, very pure natural resources. And even in the summer, it's cold. It's cold to the point of getting it into your teeth. Not, it's really cold because it's basically melted stone that comes through the um, fountains and what have you. Now, this group of children come, and until this point, we didn't have any complaints about the water. Nor did we have any suggestion that because it's summer, it will be good if we were able to refrigerate the water so when we drink it, it was cooling. Now, we were working in between 35 and 40 Celsius. And by the time the water, and we had a guy with a horse and a cart, would just go and fill the water, probably two or three miles away. And by the time the water got into the camp in 30 liters canisters, it warmed up. And we would try to find the shade for it so the sun didn't get it, and we would use probably 400, 500 liters of water a day. 
And when it talks about this kind of water, I can identify because we had a revolt in the camp, you know. The quality of the water is appalling. We can't drink it. Please show us a shop where we can go and buy cold water because we cannot face it. And again, we couldn't understand it because we thought they're being too fussy. We've never had this issue before. And again, I think by the way that we connected the electrics of the campsite, we could not add another equipment into the whole circuit because it will go bust. Ben, you've been there. So, going back to the story of the water, it comes to the point that is detested. That you do not feel that freshness and cooling and refreshing element that the water gives you. And Jesus is saying, church in Laodicea, you're a bit like the water that you've got running through your town. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's blah. And what are you going to do about that? And the scary bit is I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Where is the place where we measure whether we're hot or cold for God? Very recently we got reminded by Gary to check our love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and strength and love the neighbor as yourself. This is the only thing we've been given. Now, it's not simple, it's not easy, but this is the mandate that we've been given. This was the mandate that the church was given. To love God and to love the neighbor. And we don't know a lot about Laodicea, but we know that their love for God was lacking. It was lacking. And if their love for God was lacking, of course, automatically, the love for the neighbor will lack. I said to us, as I started, that God has been very faithful to us as a church. God has been very faithful to us as as a group of people who love him. And one of the things why I do believe that we have been steady, growing, hotter towards him is because we've had these covenant services. Because we've had those times in our year when we think that actually this is the moment where I can really calibrate my love for God and my love for my neighbor. Because actually, as as I explained on the email that you got from me on Friday, when we covenant together, that is what we're doing. It's not rocket science. 
we are basically repeating what we have said when we've gone through the waters of baptism. That I want to live my life loving God. And the, the outpouring of my love for God is going to be outpoured to my love for the neighbor. We commit ourselves to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We commit ourselves to follow Jesus through whom God has reconciled the world by his death, resurrection, and in whom we continue the work of reconciliation. We commit ourselves to proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring good news to the poor, to set free the oppressed, to be a people of peace. We commit ourselves to each other and this congregation, promising to love our brothers and sisters in God's family and to pray for each other. We commit to share our time, our decisions, our love, our talents, our possessions for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We commit each other to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build us up for his glory. I've stuck one of this in my office. And I constantly remind myself of my walk and journey with God and my walk and journey with you as brothers and sisters. I think this is a good thermometer for us to measure whether we're hot or cold or lukewarm. And I wish Jesus stopped here. But he doesn't. And he says, what Elaine, so Eileen prayed, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. The white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Church in Laodicea, who do you think you are? If you think that you have sorted out everything, first of all, you look warm. And the way that this lukewarmness is working out is that your ability to count on your richness, to count on your wealth, to count on the quality of the garments that you make from your black wool. And also, I meant to tell you earlier on that also Laodicea was very well known for a medicine that was healing or was of a, a kind a salve for bringing healing into the eyes and was very popular in that area. So again, God is addressing them with things that they could really draw parallels with and was bringing that into the life of the church. Scary. Do you think you're rich? I don't think so. 
You're wretched, pitiful, poor. You think you've got the industry of textiles sorted? You're supplying for all the surrounding neighbors, towns and stuff? You haven't sorted out yourselves. Do you think you've sorted out the medication and leading medicine for bringing healing into people's eyes? You are blind. So what are you going to do about this? And God is saying, buy from me. Buy from me. Now, all week, I have struggled with understanding the phrase, buy. If God wants and loves and passions for the church to grow, why do we have to be this, this phrase that is thrown into the midst of the Laodiceans to say, if you want this sorted, you need to buy. And I think for a commercial town, they really understood that the buying process was the giving up of a certain amount of money. I want to throw this in. It's not ex-cathedra, but I'm just thinking that if you want to buy from God's gold, can you ever match that price? If you wanted to buy from God's garments, can you ever come to a deal with God and saying, I'm going to buy this and it's going to cost God this much? If you want to buy this healing balm from God, can you come to that place of negotiation? And I don't think so. But you can make that commitment in your heart that actually, I've come to this place of being declared bankrupt in my condition before God. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, desperate need for him. And the only thing that I can do in my response is live up, live up my life for him. And therefore, I choose to endorse God's offer for his gold, for his garment, and for his balm. Now, let's not Let's not over-speculate here, because whenever we're talking about gold, we're talking about the wealth that is in God's kingdom. That actually, because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, it's given to us. When we're talking about those white garments... Again, we're talking about the purity. I was, I was at the leaders' meeting this week, and uh, there was a conversation about something that will happen in Bristol um, during the Easter time. 
And uh, one of the questions that was thrown to the guy who's leading this campaign was, how do we as church leaders prepare ourselves for this? And the immediate response to my shock was holiness. If you want God to work, you need to prepare yourself with holiness, with being set apart to do God's business. And here's Jesus that is offering white garments. You're proud about your black wool? No. I'm going to provide for you white garments that have to do with purity, that have to do with that life that is dedicated only to God. And the third thing was that balm to bring the spiritual sight, seeing things from God's eyes, seeing things like Jesus would have seen those things, seeing things not on what we think in our richness or in our arrogance is right, but what God thinks is right. So, What do we do with this message? What is there to do for the church in Laodicea? Because God still calls them his church. God still says that with your lukewarmness, I'm ready to, to spit you out. And in the same time, let's not forget, God loves his church. Those whom I love are reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So be zealous and repent. It's like a parent having a conversation with their child to tell about the dangers that are out there. And if they mess around, you want to make sure that when they come back home, they say, well, actually, this is a a safe place for them to come and talk that they've messed around but you still love them but there is that expectation of not repeating again and how much more bigger is God's love for us and that's why he's being very honest and cruel well not cruel but very very transparent and blunt thank you with the church Because he loves them. And he still wants to say that he has died for them. And it's the same Lord, the majestic one, that we read in Revelation chapter 1. And he says, you've got an option here. And the only option is to come back. Come back to me. You are going your own way when you think you've all sorted. Stop. See what I've done for the church and turn back and come to me. And this is God's message for the church. What does that look like for us as Cairns? What does it look like when God is offering us to buy from him gold? When God is offering from us, for us 
to buy from him the white garments, to buy from him the, the, the balm that is soothing and healing for the eyesight. And why all of a sudden we happen to have the harshest letter to the churches on a day when we celebrate God in our midst, our commitment to him and our commitment to one another. What is it? What is it that God is trying to say to us? I think we can learn from this. Although we may not fall into the trap or we may not consider ourselves that we are arrogant because we are rich, this is a good reminder for us not to be exempting ourselves, to say, this would never happen to us at Cairns Road. By God's grace and God's mercy, we can make that commitment in our heart today say, Lord, perhaps our temperature gauge is not where it should be. And we want to be hotter. Because that's what Jesus is asking. It's better that you tell me you're cold or you're hot than you rather be lukewarm, somewhere in the middle. And I think somewhere in the middle, it's the most comfortable place. It's the place where the other churches have been rebuked and addressed for compromise. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be zealous. And the same word that is used there in Greek has got a root of being hot. Being hot. And I want you to be zealous, not because you're able to, not because you're capable to, not because you've got the best financial, because the best textile, the best bomb industry in the town. No. I want you to be zealous because that zeal is rooted in the love that I've given for you. Now, do we want to check our love for God and for one another? We cannot check it unless we are resourced in that love. So the invitation, again, to Cairns, second time in January, is let's check where our love for God is rooted. Let's go to the throne of God. Now, the children and the young people are going to come in very soon. And I'm going to explain a little bit what we're going to do. But this is an opportunity for us to know that we don't want to be that church that leaves Jesus out of the door. And I'm saying that, and I'm saying very bluntly that I don't want to be part of a community that leaves Jesus at the door knocking. I would love to be part of a community that anytime Jesus knocks, we invite him in 
and they say, come and share a meal with us. And the most staggering thing of that meal was that Jesus was able to share the bread with Peter, who denied him, with John, who was the beloved disciple, and with Judas, who betrayed him. Because he all gives us a chance here to come and be zealous and repent.